You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. Do you think the same 9,329 people vote in each day's survey question? I don't have the technological uh, knowledge or tools. And, you know, neither does James, who manages the website, I'd love to know the overlap because we are it's it's a wonderful place to be. I remember when 300 people were voting on the the daily survey questions and if we hit 500 people I was ecstatic. But the sweet spot for us is somewhere between 9 and 10,000. And it depends on how provocative the subject matter might be as to whether we break 10,000, but I am kind of curious like if I had a means of saying right now, ah, and 6,344 of them had voted in the previous day's survey. I would just love to know that. Anyway, the survey question yesterday had nothing to do with Ukraine. Instead, it had to do with cancel culture. Many of you didn't even like that cancel culture was actually in the survey question. This was all premised on the New York Times editorial of They put it up on Friday. They published it in the print edition on Sunday. An enormous editorial, 2,500 words as compared to a typical 500 words. If you believe the Puck Dylan Byers reporting, then A.J. Salzberger, the publisher of the Times, commissioned this. The final paragraph of the Times editorial said this, and this is, I think, the non-controversial part. Free speech is predicated on mutual respect, that of people for one another and of a government for the people it serves. Every day in communities across the country, Americans must speak to one another freely to refine and improve the elements of our social contract. What do we what do we owe the most vulnerable in our neighborhoods? What conduct should we expect from public servants? What ideas are so essential to understanding American democracy that they should be taught in schools? When public discourse in America is narrowed, it becomes harder to answer these and many other urgent questions we face as a society. When we are talking at one another, when we are going after each other, we're not solving anything. Okay, so in the editorial, the Times was an equal opportunity offender. And I, therefore, asked, 
do the left and right share equal responsibility for the creation of cancel culture? Because the predominant complaint about the editorial came, I think, from progressives who said, why are you uh, establishing a false equivalence? That's what they were saying between us and conservatives. So I wanted to know whether you thought the left and right bear equal responsibility. And the answer is yes. 61.04% say yes, the left and right share equal responsibility for cancel culture. We'll get to today's conversation and today's survey matter. I'll tell you right now what I'm asking. Does greater peril come from confronting Putin or leaving him unchecked? Is it riskier? You know, I must say, and I'm going to come back to this at a, at a, at a date soon. There is a paragraph in David Ignatius's most recent Washington Post look at Ukraine where he says, when this is all said and done, everybody's going to want nukes. Is there any doubt, I'm paraphrasing, but is there any doubt that if Putin didn't have nukes, NATO and the West would have been even more aggressive than they have been. The only thing holding back NATO is, hey, wait a minute, this guy's got nukes. So what I'm getting at today is, does greater peril come from confronting him or leaving him unchecked? If we have the attitude of leaving him unchecked, maybe we're empowering him. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Today's the day to talk about what went on yesterday with the uh, Supreme Court confirmation process. Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, Professor Josh Blackman is going to join me in a couple of minutes time to talk about exactly what went on in yesterday's hearing. I monitored the Senate confirmation hearing for Judge Jackson. I didn't watch it all. But I have a pretty good handle on everything that went down. She, of course, is poised to become the first ever black female justice of the Supreme Court. And keep this in mind. I mean, there's been so much filibuster talk that I think people get confused. 
her confirmation requires a simple majority, not a 60-vote filibuster-proof majority. And where Democrats have control with Vice President Kamala Harris as the, you know, the plus one, uh, it would take a real misstep or real controversy for her to fail. And that's not going to happen, not based on what I saw yesterday. I, I don't think that Republicans made any points worthy of derailing her. This is my take, and I'll certainly listen to yours in a moment. Um, what do I think? I think they made points with the base. You've got some of the you've got some of the better known Republicans on the committee, several with presidential aspirations. I love that committee. If I could make, make if I could wave a magic wand and be on the Senate Judiciary Committee, I would I would take that deal in a heartbeat. For many of them, it was a greatest hits reel for the upcoming midterms. Not necessarily for Supreme Court business. I mean, crime and race. Crime and race were the dominant themes. In fact, I thought to myself yesterday and said to no one in particular, because I was watching it solo, but if there were a way to if there were a way to work in inflation and gas prices, this is getting a rise from TC. All right. Thank you, TC. I'm here all week. <laughs> there I'm you here go. all week. Um yeah, if if there were a rate, way to work in Remind me to tweet that, TC. It's just I was about it's to just say, you should be live from the tweeting host. these things. Come on. Right. Uh, ahem. Let me dictate. I, I, um, take a note. The question <laughs> department of, is, is on right, it. The, the GOP, we'll do it shorter for the 140 characters. The <laughs> GOP questioning of Judge Jackson thus far is a midterms, it's a midterm election greatest hits reel. Now, dot, 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 if only they could figure out how to work in Inflation and gas prices. That's brilliant, right? <laughs> it's, it's true. It's so true. And by the way, I'm not saying that those issues don't have merit, but not in this process. The, the crime allegation is that she was soft on child sexual abuse. And, you know, this is not an original thought of mine. You'll hear this from others, but it is reminiscent of the child sex trafficking ring underneath Comet Pizza in Washington. In other words, it's like straight out of QAnon. Why the fixation? If she's been soft, if she's been soft on a pedophile, definitely. I want to know all about that. But the one case that they're hitting her with, it, it, it just seems like she was within her area of discretion. And if you have a beef with Judge Jackson, then, then you know, go for uh, minimum sentencing standards. But that belief that I, I spent a lot of time getting into this uh, recently, and I know that some of us tend to just uh, dismiss it as crackpot stuff that nobody could possibly believe. But there are a lot of Americans who do believe that Donald Trump is fighting this this cabal of elites who are child sex traffickers and pedophiles. So if if Josh Hawley if Josh Hawley is spending a lot of time talking about that, there's a reason. He is narrow casting to a part of the base that he hopes will assist him in winning a Republican nomination. Wokeness was really the unspoken, well, I guess spoken too. That was that was really the theme of the day. And a lot of theatrics, um, a lot of reference to things that are just not court business per se, uh, and, and as a further indicator of, of what it's all about, at least for the opponents of Katanji Brown-Jackson, 
the RNC shared a, uh, what's the word? I guess it's a GIF, meme GIF. On Twitter, instead of having KBJ, right, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like the, the thing you're seeing now is from supporters of Judge Jackson is KBJ, KBJ. Well, they have it like crossed out and replaced with CRT, critical race theory. Uh, critical race theory, uh, parental rights, mask mandates, transgenders in sports. I mean, it's it was all it was all the stuff that you're going to hear as wedge issues, as cultural drivers for the midterm elections. She was well prepared, you know, whether she had a hiccup on Dred Scott. I'll get into with my guest in a couple of minutes time because it's kind of interesting. He's written a book about the 100 cases that everybody ought to know from the Supreme Court of the United States. And on an intellectual level, I was looking for, okay, were there any missteps on her part? It's such a long clip for me to play. It would take me four minutes, and I don't know if I want to do it. I'll talk about that with the guest. But remember, she's navigated this process three different times. So she, she of course, had to go through it as a federal judge. She had to go through it when she was later elevated to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. That's the farm team for the Supreme Court of the United States. And these senators, these senators are sophisticated when they have someone like Judge Jackson, especially with an eye toward hers being a potential history-making nomination, that when she comes up for the district court, when she comes up certainly for the Court of Appeals, when someone comes up for the Court of Appeals, they know this could be president, or this could be a, a Supreme Court timber. And so they, they've questioned her uh, aggressively in the past, but it's very hard to step in her way when she's being nominated for the trial court or for the appellate court. And my own personal view is that under the advice and consent portion of the Constitution, that if you're playing by the rules, this is just my view of it, I'm not alone, but there's, you know, you've got to give a president, you've got to give a president the ability to establish their team. And that includes the Supreme Court of the United States. Every four years, every four years that I've been behind this microphone for the last three decades, I have found myself saying that apart from the role and responsibility of a president uh, as commander in chief, the most significant, the most uh, awe-inspiring duty is to populate the federal bench. We put all of our attention on the Supreme Court of the United States. That's only nine. The several hundred who comprise the district court judges, the appellate judges, and the fact that they are lifetime um, lifetime appointees. That is where a president gets to put his or her thumbprint on the direction of the country. I mean, Donald Trump, they were very they were a very well oiled machine because they'd held up so many uh, Obama picks. Um, Trump came into office with with a whole slew of vacancies, worked well with with Mitch McConnell. I made this observation yesterday in response to a caller who said, uh, you know, that the Federalist Society is a court-packing entity. Well, they're damn good at it. And sure, you can always find exceptions, but they, they put up uh, a lot of very, on, new, on paper, well-credentialed people. Well-credentialed people. What else stands out in, in my mind? Um, the, highlight reel, the highlight reel of yesterday is not so much anything she said. Can I, can I just posit this thought for a moment before I roll a little audio? 
I'm hard pressed. If if there were something that I heard Judge Jackson say yesterday that I thought were highly controversial, I'd be playing them for you right now. It's not so much what she said. It's what the senators in grandstanding said to set up questions or to say about her. Here, here's a, a great example. Um, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham asks her about her religion, but his real purpose in asking her about her religion was to remind everybody of how Dianne Feinstein raised the issue when it was Judge, now Justice, Amy Coney Barrett. You remember, um, what was the, I'm trying to think of what exact, do you have that one, TC? Do you do you have any yeah, of the, the, I have, the... I have Lindsey Graham and the whole setup and his conversation with her. You're not going to want to play the whole thing because it gets no. too long, but it, very quickly, it's obvious that he's not... Yeah, let's, really let's asking her that question. Go ahead. And that, I think, was your point. I want to talk to you a little bit about family and faith, because in your opening statement, the people who uh, introduced you to the committee, uh, there was very glowing praise of uh, you as a person, a good friend. Uh, you have a wonderful family. You should be proud, and your faith matters to you. What faith are you, by the way? Senator, I am um, Protestant. Mm-hmm. Hey, can you stop the tape? Okay. Can you stop the tape? If Lindsey Graham were not making a point, I mean, Amy Coney Barrett is a is a very religious individual. I don't know on the religiosity scale. I don't know whether uh, Coney Barrett is more a person of faith than Judge Jackson. I, I I'm not sure. I I get it. I understand why Diane Feinstein was questioning Coney Barrett, but there's like a, a line there. It's, you know, there's a JFK-ish kind of inquiry where you want to make sure that in the end, the judge is going to follow the rule of law and not whatever his or her faith may be. But for me, like, just as a general matter, not with regard to Coney Barrett only or with regard to Jackson only, that's where it should end. That's where, because part of me doesn't, part of me thinks it shouldn't be an inquiry at all, at all. But where you've got someone who, whose life is suggestive of very deep faith. Yeah, you got to you got to check that box and just make sure that you elicit from them the answer that says that it's it's the rule of man, not the rule of God that I will be applying. Okay, play more of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Non-denominational. Okay. Could you fairly judge a Catholic? Senator, I have a record of I think the answer would be yes, judging right? everyone. I believe you can. I'm just <laughs> asking this question because how important is your faith to you? Senator, personally, um, my faith is very important. Um, but as you know, there's no religious test in the Constitution under under Article 6. and There will be none with me. And... <laughs> Um, it's very important to set aside one's personal views. Yeah. What, what if the answer? What if the answer were, "I'm I'm not a person of faith. I'm 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 agnostic. I just I don't know. I haven't sorted it out." I I think that most on that committee, certainly on the Republican side of the aisle, would would go you know would go rip blank. Don't you think? We're we're very progressed in 2022 are we ready for a supreme court justice who says i mean i i won't even go atheist i'll just say agnostic i don't know i haven't sorted it all out as opposed to no i'm not believing 
I think that would be a problem. I wouldn't have a problem with it, but I think it would be a problem for many. I thought the Graham exchange was interesting. Ted Cruz similarly talking about, and this went on with the books and the graphics, uh, talking about the curriculum of a school where she's a board member and working in CRT, introducing critical race theory because it had been referenced by Judge Jackson in a speech that she had delivered. Uh, Again, it was a Coney Barrett throwback because she, a lot of this was payback yesterday for what Republicans perceive to be the impropriety of questions on on Coney Barrett. There was also talk of war criminals. If you really delve into, and I thought that uh, Aaron Blake unspooled in the Washington Post, what was the gist? Like, did she really call both President Bush and uh, Donald Rumsfeld in his capacity as in his capacity as uh, defense secretary war criminals? I don't think it's it's a black and white issue in the pleadings. Certainly there was reference to war crimes. I don't hold her accountable. I do not hold her accountable. I don't I don't hold attorney. I don't hold attorneys general, not in attorney general, but attorneys in general. I don't hold accountable for those that they have to represent. I've never been of a mindset that that so-and-so was a lesser person because they took on the representation. Now, there have been instances where the way in which lawyers have defended people, I went through this on the Mumia Abu-Jamal case, and the falsehoods that over decades have been told on his behalf by lawyers representing him at various stages, oh yeah, that's worthy of comment. But the fact that you take on representation of even a 9-11 planner, I don't I don't think that that's uh, valid grounds to say, well, she's ill-suited to be the the Supreme Court justice. Bottom line is this. She'll get through, as I think she should. It is arguably the greatest power a president possesses besides being commander-in-chief. These lifetime appointees are a big deal, but not liking her ideology, not liking her ideology unless it's indicative of a fundamental misunderstanding of the Constitution, I don't think is grounds to stop Judge Jackson. The Senate role is defined by the Constitution. It says that the president shall have the power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties, provided two-thirds of the senators present concur, and he shall nominate and by with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States. Uh, Article uh, Article 2, Section 2, gives the Senate the exclusive right to provide advice and consent of the president on treaties and nominations, etc., etc., etc. So that's the status. Um, No blood drawn in terms of the interrogation. They'll be back at it today, but it was relatively smooth sailing for Judge Jackson. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. In one of the uh, the more substantively tethered exchanges, it was Senator Cornyn who brought up the Dred Scott decision with Judge Jackson. At a certain point, she said she doesn't quite remember the basis. It's a perfect lead-in for my next guest. Here's just a bit of that exchange from yesterday. The justices have interpreted the due process clause of the 14th Amendment to include a substantive provision, the the um, the rights to due process, they have interpreted that to mean not just procedural rights relative to government action, but also the protection of certain uh, personal um, rights related to intimacy and autonomy. They include things like um, the, the right to rear one's children, um, I believe the right to travel, the right to marriage, um, interracial marriage, the right uh, to an abortion, the contraception. These treating uh, treating uh, slaves as chattel property. I'm I don't quite remember the basis for the Dred, Dred Scott opinion, but but I'll trust you that that well the the fact is is it not that you can use substantive due process to justify basically any result well the court whether it's conservative so this is right or liberal, in the wheelhouse of Josh or... Blackman who is the co-author of an introduction to constitutional law 100 supreme court cases everyone should know about by day, he's a professor at the South Texas College of Law, Houston. He also blogs at the Volokh Conspiracy, among other of his credentials. Hey, Professor, thank you for being here. I'm sure you were paying attention at that moment and shouting at your television set. I was. My jaw dropped when I heard that. I was actually kind of surprised you didn't remember that part. It's a pretty important case. I am sure that Dred Scott is on your 100 Supreme Court cases that everyone should know. What was the correct answer to that question? <clears throat> uh, Cornyn was right. Um, the Dred Scott decision is well known today. It held that people of African descent could never be citizens. Indeed, the court held that there was a constitutional right to hold slaves as chattel property. 
And Chief Justice Taney wrote that the Due Process Clause of the Fifth Amendment guarantees slaveholders a right to their property, which were slaves. It was a stunning holding, and Senator Cornyn's question was right on point. I would think that your book, the book that you co-authored, would be the must-read when someone is about to undergo this sort of interrogation. Well, it's not a well-understood aspect of the case. There's a good reason why. Right. Uh, this notion of what's called due process, that it protects these rights, is a basis for abortion, right? Justice Scalia would always say that Roe v. Wade and Dred Scott should be mentioned in the same breath, that both cases relied on the Constitution to create this right to something that's not in the text. Dred Scott was wrong, Scalia said, and Roe v. Wade was wrong. The reason why liberals don't like this is to undermine Dred Scott is to undermine Roe v. Wade, and they cannot they cannot have that tension, which is why people simply deny this 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 rule exists. Well, if you had if you had more of a literalist interpretation, a strict construction interpretation of the Fourteenth Amendment, and and I'm trying to do this without a getting in over my head because you're the scholar and I'm not, and without losing the audience as well. But what else would be in jeopardy? in terms of things we've come to accept and rely on, that if all of a sudden the thinking of the 14th Amendment were much more narrow cast, would also be challenged? Um, well, for one, the so-called right of privacy, which considers things like contraceptives, a right to engage in sodomy, a right to same-sex marriage. Uh, these rulings might be undermined if we reject this notion that the Due Process Clause protects these sorts of uh, uh, unenumerated rights are not written down. Uh, so this is actually tripped up Robert Bork three decades ago. He said Roe was wrong. He said Dred Scott was wrong. And he also said all these other cases were wrong as well. And he got, as it goes, Borked. Uh, so I think Jackson may be trying to avoid it. Still a surprise she didn't understand or said she didn't remember that part of the holding. It, it's a very important part of the case in Dred Scott. Well, Bork, I mean, Bork, say what you will about him. He was he was an intellectual. He was consistent. But of course, you know, given the theatrics of something like yesterday, it opens him up to to people who say, oh, my God, he wants to uphold slavery. Well, it's actually the opposite. One of the perverse parts of, of modern discourse is that the 1619 Project and related people actually agree with Tawny. Right. They say the Constitution's flawed. It's this racist document. I say Tawny was wrong. Right. Tawny was wrong. He did not get it right. The, the 14th Amendment does not protect his right to own slavery. He was insanely wrong. So I think you can actually reconcile it. And it's perverse that the people who challenge uh, this Constitution, the Constitution is a racist document, have to accept Roger Tawney's racist reading of the Constitution. It's very perverse. So your book is the 100 cases everybody should know about. Give me, give me the top three. Give me the top five. Make us all look smart so that we can <laughs> we can go off and uh, and pursue our lives today and, and have some good conversation uh, with our friends and coworkers. Sure. Uh, we can start with a case like Marbury versus Madison, which people seem to know generally. It involves the power of the Supreme Court to review whether a law is constitutional. Uh, a famous case called McCulloch versus Maryland from the 1800s. Can Congress establish a federal bank? It's actually a huge debate in the early days of the Republic. Uh, Gibbons against Ogden. Can Congress regulate a steamboat going from New Jersey to New York? Seems like an easy question, but it wasn't the time of the framing. Uh, these are all old cases that were very, very important. Uh, we take it all the way to the present. And if I can give a plug, we have a second edition coming out later this year. We're bringing it up to date. We're going to have uh, the new abortion case, the new gun case, 
uh, new religious liberty cases. It's going to be fresh, brand new. Have there been any instances in Supreme Court confirmation hearings in the last, I'll say in the modern era, whatever that might mean? For me, it's Reagan forward, where someone under consideration has blown it, that there's been a substantive exchange with a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee and they they just were made to look foolish? No, no, I don't think so. The, the, the nominees are coached. They have what are called murder boards. Where they basically go in front of a, of a panel and different lawyers pretend to be the very senators and ask them every question. And they train them very well not to make these unforced errors. So we've not seen a kind of blow up. Some are smoother than others, right? The, what you do see is that sometimes a, the nominee loses their cool a bit and they get a little bit flustered and frustrated because the questions are designed to frustrate them. But no one blows it. They just simply say, I don't know, I'm not sure, and they just move on with their lives. I mean, I mean when you think about those that, that don't get through, uh, maybe you could say that Bork <clears throat> didn't get through because of, of ideology, but rarely is it ideology. I, I think of, who who was the guy, this is kind of nutty to me, in 2022, that that we had a justice uh, within the last 30 years, a, a prospective justice who didn't get through because I, he'd smoked weed. Was that was that Ginsburg? Was Douglas, that Gin, Doug, Douglas? Ginsburg, yep. He was he was never actually even nominated. Uh, uh, shortly after Reagan announced intent to nominate Ginsburg, the press leaked that he smoked marijuana with students at Harvard, and they never even nominated the guy. So you you know, we, got, we got Kennedy. We got Anthony Kennedy because of that. Ugh, wow. Um, I also think of... Uh, was it Kimball Wood who had been a playmate, a, a playboy uh, a bunny? Not a playmate. <laughs> I've elevated her. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I'm not sure. What? You don't remember that? Wood, I... TC, fact check uh, me on uh, I'm Googling it. Okay. Uh, well, well, here's my here's my point. My point, Professor, is that it's it's not it's not usually because there was an exchange on Dred Scott and all of a sudden the committee says, oh, my God, you know, he or she is not up to it. Instead, it's usually the personal that enters the realm. Right. I, I think what the what the senators are trying to figure out, who is this person, how they decide cases, what are their values? And at every point, the nominee is frustrating that and trying not to give anything away. Um, occasionally, she sort of let down her guard and, and opened up um, uh, at the hearing yesterday. I'll actually be going to the hearing today to watch it in person. Uh, but she, she did get frustrated a couple of points, but she, she mostly kept her cool. I mean, the, the exchanges for me, it seems like it's a foregone conclusion that the Republicans know she's going to get through. They don't have the votes. They've not they've, they've not been able to pun intended dredge something up on her. <laughs> So they, I thought, were really playing for primary voters by talking about mask mandates and parental rights and CRT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, kind of going through the motions, creating some good video for future campaign commercials. Um, but unless something really changed today, it seems like it's over. What, what, does it, what does advise and consent mean as it pertains to this process well, it's funny because really the Senate does one thing. They vote yes or no. They don't really give the president advice. They simply consent yes or no. Uh, right. President Biden said that he actually went to senators and asked for their advice in advance. Who knows if he listened to it? Uh, but we, we're at the point now where it's going to be a partisan affair. I think it's unfortunate. You know, Scalia was confirmed 98 to 0. Stephen Breyer had 89 Amazing. votes. And, and then today we're down to, you know, Amy Coney Barrett be confirmed in a straight party line vote. 
Brett Kavanaugh did one, you know, uh, Democratic vote. Uh, you know, Gorsuch was filibustered. These are eminently qualified people who should not be blocked from the court. But this is where we are today. Uh, I think your prediction earlier was accurate. She might get 50 votes plus Kamala Harris and she'll be confirmed that way. That's it. Uh, Professor, before you leave, TC fact check, please. Okay, so you're not wrong, but you're not exactly right, because you're talking about people that are being brought up as Supreme Court justices, and Kimba Wood was not. She was proposed for nomination for attorney general. Mm. It was not... It was not the five years, the five, I'm sorry, the five days she spent training as a Playboy bunny while at the London School of Economics that stopped. (laughs) I cannot believe you know this. Couldn't make it up. That stopped that nomination. But instead, it was a similar like nanny gate scandal, even though she had hired the nanny who was illegal before it was illegal. It still had shades of that. And so she withdrew her nomination for attorney general. But indeed, five days trained as a Playboy bunny. Thank you, Michael, for that. Bit of All right, I stand. I stand corrected, P- P- Professor. Sorry, I'm sorry to have introduced that misinformation. I, I, I did not know that. I had never heard that. Well, it gives you a little something when you go over to the hearing today. When there's a break in the action, you can say to somebody, "Hey, you remember Kimball Wood? Now she wasn't nominated for the Supreme Court. It was the Attorney General, as I recall. You look like a, a rocket scientist. You got me thrown out of the building. <laughs> Josh Blackman, thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan. Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.